O Lord, most holy Father, as we wind down our week, we just pray that uh, we might be winding up our relationship with you. Lord, I don't have the words, but you do. And when you made the promise that your Holy Spirit would, would convey our words to your throne in ways that we don't know how to utter, that it only seems logical that it goes the other way, that you would convey words from the throne Thoughts that we don't know how to present, but that you'd turn that into our own broken language and be able to convey it to others. So I just ask for your spirit to do this work, that we might have a, a happy time together. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to start off, before I really kind of get into today's thing, mentioned yesterday, the question came up from a single young person's point of view, why can't I be involved romantically, intimacy-wise, as a single person? I like that part of life. Why can't I, why can't I get involved? And I mentioned something yesterday about the hormone oxytocin, right? Said so I'd talk about it today. And so what I'm gonna what I'm gonna give to you is a little bit of science, I've been doing a little bit of reading and a little bit of observation and just talking to people. Uh, if it piques your interest, go start reading about it. I think the science will, is there and will be there, I think, in, in more of a clear picture as the research comes in. But, so this is just some of my, my idea, but, but look around. I think it's out there. If you've taken uh, college biology, you might have run across somewhere in that course um, a study of, of our hormonal system. And if you've heard about the hormone oxytocin, where do we hear it most often coming into play in our physiology, our biology? Anybody? Reproduction. Reproduction. I think the only place where I really hear it quite often, especially when I was in school, was in the later stages of a birth. Oxytocin is released into the system and that's what initiates those, those uterine contractions to, to initiate the process of the birth of that child, okay? So think about this. Whatever is released into the, the mother's bloodstream also goes where? To the child's bloodstream, yeah. And there's, there's a growing number of studies that indicates <clears throat> that oxytocin is also responsible for bonding. Okay? So think about this. What happens? We have this window of time. You know, and, and I can't remember exactly, but it's like the first couple of hours after birth, that child's mind is open, right? It's like a camera shutter, it opens. And what happens? When the child is held by the mother or the father and the child is looking into the face, what is it doing? What's the word we use? Bonding. Bonding, imprinting. If the child is born and then it's whisked away and put in a nursery for the first two hours, two or three hours, I can't remember which, and the baby does not see a human being up close for the first few hours of life, the child will have bonding issues for the rest of its life. You, it's, it's a window of time that opens up and never comes back, okay? 
So think about this. It's that oxytocin that gets into the, into the brain of the child and in the memory photographic, I mean, our, our bodies are fearfully and wonderfully made, aren't they? And whatever it is that's in there, oxytocin is the key that fixes that photographic plate and opens the shutter, and then it just looks. Okay, when a, and that's what causes the bonding, okay? The baby's got it. Now, here's another neat thing is, as the child nurses, the action of nursing stimulates the production of oxytocin in the mother. Okay, and oh, because the hormone is in the mother's bloodstream, it goes throughout her body, it's expressed in the milk as well, right? Okay, so the child is right here. Mommy's looking at child. Baby's looking at mommy. What is the, what is the child getting another dose of? Oxytocin. Guess what's happening right there? It's bonding. Yeah, the mother too. There's this, this thing being created that's powerful. Now, jump to the question at hand. Why can't I be involved in intimacy as a single person? Think about this. Physical stimulation in causes the production of oxytocin, right? And so the first time that you come really close to a person in intimacy, especially that first time because that first time is when the hormones, they're coming out like a truckload, right? Because you are like, you are like wide awake. Your, your system is like all systems go. And when you're this close to a person and you give yourself to somebody, that oxytocin is just like dumped into your system. And guess what happens? That's the second time in life that, yeah, those... Those photographic plates in your memory are opened up, and whoever is right there gets branded or bonded into your memory. Okay? It just gets seared into, this is my mate. Okay? It's not only, studies show, responsible for pair, or bonding with mother and child, but it's also associated with pair bonding, with mate bonding as well. So... You get this person right here. Something happens in your brain, and it's turned on by this oxytocin, and you bond with them. You create a snapshot of this person's face, right? Okay, now, stop. You go away. That was exciting. That was nice. Wow. <laughs> But eventually, because you've got things out of order, and besides, if you're a Christian, I mean, just, you know, God comes right out and says, no, don't do that. Okay, maybe he had a reason. Um, so something winds up happening, you move away, the other person, eh, you know, we're not compatible. So then, some time goes by, and you meet somebody else, okay? Now, you've got that photograph in your mind, right? And now you meet somebody else, and you develop a close relationship with them, and you start getting closer and closer and closer, and then you become intimate with them. Now you double expose the photographic plate. Get what I'm saying? Okay. And then maybe a third or fourth person. Superimposed, picture after picture. As you go look for who your brain is telling you your mate is, what picture are you seeing? 
an overlapped composited picture of which nobody exists out there that matches that picture. So are you going to have issues with bonding the rest of your life? Yeah. Isn't that amazing? God says one person. One person. Someday I'm going to have this to a PowerPoint presentation. I need to find a program that will that can take pictures and overlap them like that. So, uh, I think it would be a great visual, you know, to, 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 to be able to do that. But uh, think about it. If you do it right, that one person, you say your vows, you go on your honeymoon, the person's right there. You take that photo. And sometime later, you take another photo and it's exactly the same. A little bit later, you take another photo, it's exactly the same. And later, same, the same. What happens when you don't advance the slide and you take the same picture over and over and over and over again? The images burn deeper and deeper and deeper and the bonding just gets deeper, deeper and more and more etched in the, into the fabric of who you are. You become one. And that but mistakes happen right and I know this is I'm kind of being loose maybe a little bit here but drawing on the, the, the concept of photography when you've got a picture what happens when you expose that picture maybe you set it in the dash of your car you forget it there? Over time, what happens? It fades out. Exposing that picture to sunlight does what? Fades it out. You can't rush the process, though. If somebody's picture was mistakenly imprinted on that psyche of yours, time and sunlight. We'll erase that. Okay? So there's redemption, right? There's redemption. He knew what he was talking about. Isn't that awesome? So for today, is that a good enough reason to wait? I think it would be. So today, if you've got your Bibles, I've got four references, and we'll go through this maybe fairly quickly. And uh, let's do this. uh, No, we'll just do it like this. Somebody in the first row, look up Genesis 16.2. Somebody in the second row, look up Genesis 25.21. Somebody in the third row, if you've got a Bible... Look up Genesis 30, verse 1. And maybe somebody in the fourth row, look up 1 Samuel 1, 11. Okay, now if somebody's got... And maybe it would be good to have the mic, okay? Somebody in the first row, once you get the mic, read Genesis 16, 2. Go ahead. Genesis 16.2. And Sarah said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing thy plenty. Go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. Okay. Uh, somebody in the second row, read Genesis 25.21. Somebody in the third row, read Genesis 30, verse 1. And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children, or else I die. 
Mm. And then the last reference, 1 Samuel 1.11. 
we're told that he could have committed the work to angels, but he didn't because we as human beings have to be involved in bringing children to God. After all, we are who? His bride. It should make sense that if we are the bride of Christ, we're going to be the ones that bring children to him. Sounds real, doesn't it? Sounds so what is our role? How do, we, how do we make that happen? You know, and over the last few years, as I've been around you know, working in the church and, and with other ministries on our own, I find that there's a lot written about church growth. There are many, many books, many, many programs developed to, to address the issue of church growth. And I wonder, is there a connection? Are we missing something? In the physical, children are not hard to produce. So why is it so hard spiritually? Why do we struggle with that? I mean, we've got it figured out physically. From a very young age, right? But why is it so hard spiritual? Yeah, I think we are missing something. In the spirit of prophecy, so many different places, the statement is made, with the love of Christ as the pervading motivation of our actions, hearts will not be able to resist the pull of the Spirit. People could not stay away from Christ. He, he would sneak away, and everybody would start, you know, just going into this, where is he, where did he go, what direction did he go, who saw him last? You know, and he would just, and he would try to sneak away, and it's like, they figure out, well, he went that way. And so, there would be this mass, like, lemming migration, even around a little ocean, what we call the sea. And they would, they would just flock to him. Why was that? Was it just because he had charisma? No. Because in his soul and in his spirit was a deep longing to heal. He was interested in their well-being. And we're told the same thing works for us when we show an interest in the people we're working with. Amen. Not just an interest is in, you need to get saved, buddy, and I'm here to help. It, it's, no, where are you at? Let me help you. You know, do you need something? Are you struggling with something? That's, that's what I'm here for. That's what our friendship is for. Yet why is the church so dead? Number one, I think, as we read a text yesterday in Revelation, a letter to the churches about losing their first love. Number one, we've lost our first love. You know, you look around you, and you see churches here, churches there, they're dying. Well, why is that? There's no children in the church, physically and spiritually. Well, the only reason that happens in the family is when something's wrong, isn't it? Follow the parallel. Yeah, sometimes there are things wrong biologically. And I think the Lord did this in his word with the stories that we read this morning because he had to get the attention of the people before he let them have children. 
But if, if the bride goes home with the groom and, he, and she doesn't let him touch her, are there going to be children? No. no. And so the churches, you look at the churches are dying because we're not letting Christ inhabit the depths of our soul. We are not letting Christ have us and come into us. And because when he does, and he's allowed into that inner sanctuary behind the veil of our hearts, and we get healed, we've got something. It's like something you can't hide. And you've got to share it. Yeah, it's like, mm, how do I do this, Lord? And it just radiates out, and you can't help it because you know, try to you try to hold it in, and you don't. Do you get what I'm saying? I mean, it it just it just exudes, and people see that. There's something you have. What is it? Something something's different about you. And children just naturally will come to be. You will draw people. But if you haven't had that intimate experience with the Lord, you're not going to have his children or bring any children to him. There are other ways to produce children other than that deep, meaningful relationship. And we'll talk about that in a little minute, a little bit. Let's go on. Sadly, it has become a popular thing to really study and to use politically correct marketing strategies instead of that deep, intimate, personal relationship with Christ ourselves. We go from a message since we've lost the message, we go to method. And because we're not letting him inhabit us to bear him children, we go to strategy instead. We cook up a plan. And I'm not saying that there shouldn't be system and order and purpose and plan in what we do in evangelism. But what I'm saying is sometimes we get the cart in front of the horse. And, and we lose our motivation. And it just defaults to this strategy instead. And so uh, we want to invite people, but some of the messages, I mean, can be kind of controversial, right? And so we want to invite all our family and friends, but, oh, you know, somewhere in, the, in this evangelism, we've got to talk about the mark of the beast, the state of the dead, and the, and the Sabbath. And that's kind of strange because that's, you know, that's Saturday. And, and so we kind of walk this dicey line between we want to bring people in, but we also want to be very safe and careful that we don't offend anybody. And so we water down the message to high fructose Christian love <laughs> And then wonder why we get ADD Christians that need a drum set up front to keep their attention. See what I'm saying? The drum set isn't the problem. It's a symptom that something's missing. Okay. So going back to the idea that God gave us family and marriage... And in every aspect of that relationship, we're to make that connection. Our relationship with Christ, Christ and his bride, is the same story as the husband and wife. The things that go on there and how it works and the mechanics. As we develop a relationship with him, the natural consequence of a deepening relationship in our closet, on our knees, is children, spiritual children. As we meditate, as we assimilate 
his word, we become changed. You know, and I was, I was just really impressed the last two days, Janet's message. Two days ago, she used this analogy, and it's like just glaring at me, that she's doing the laundry, and what does husband say? Do you love me? Yes, I love you. That's why I married you. No, go away. I'm busy doing, you know, your thing. And then he just followed. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? She's busy. She's busy. And guess what? And I'm thinking in my head two nights ago, she's got that problem spiritually too. And what was the story she told us last night? It was the spiritual issue that was going on at the exact same time. They always match. If you're having struggles connecting with God, guess what? I know you're having struggles at home, too. Because they always match. As the physical goes, so goes the spiritual. Something to think about. And it, as you think about, back about those stories, do you see the connection? She was telling God the same thing. I'm too busy. I'm too busy doing your work to stop and spend time with you. How many, you know, and I fit in here too, how many of us at some point in our life were confronted with the idea of having Bible studies with somebody and just instantly we became nervous and kind of scared. It's like, oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I know enough. I, I'm kind of nervous. I don't and for fear, I'm too shy. I don't think I could do that. Or lack of knowledge. I just don't think I, could. I know enough to, to be able to give somebody a Bible study. How many have been embarrassed because, uh, for whatever reason? But let me ask you this. How many of you have been embarrassed to talk to a child? Anybody? How many have embarrassed to take a child, your child or, you know, somebody else's child, and, and, and walk them into the living room and sit down and have family worship? See, God gave us children as our training ground. Learn to talk to the child. I mean, it's, it's no problem, right? It's easy. That's where you learn to do the same thing with your neighbor. We do have all different personality and character types. And sometimes we do get kind of hung up. But as we develop the relationship with the Lord, that goes away. Learn on the child. If it's just too much all at once to, to, to go public, go to the children's department. Go to your children. Go to your grandchildren. And learn to present the gospel to them. Amen. And that's your training. He gave us children as a model of what we're going to do the rest of our life. Amen. Because we never lose the capacity to have children spiritually for Christ. Amen. Again, come back to the question, so why is the church dying? Number one, we don't s stop with our busyness and submit and surrender to him in a deep relationship. Number two, we get fearful, self-protective and self-centered and use that as an excuse of why we can't reach out and touch somebody else's life. Or when we do muster up the courage on our own and we do it in our own strength, we usually go one of two ways. We start commanding with doctrine and are a little bit overbearing with people, or a lot overbearing. Or we go the other way and just want to love them into the kingdom 
And it's just this, you know, peace, man, far out, groovy. I remember the 60s, do you? (laughs) (laughs) And we just want to, But Jesus told the woman at, at the well, what? You must worship God in spirit and in truth. You've got to have both of them. The spirit without the truth, we're told in the book Great Controversy that, I think it's in the chapter Modern Revivals, that when we present the love of Christ over and over to the exclusion of his law, that is spiritualism. It's got to have the balance. And think about it. Making the child is the easy part, right? But now that you've made the child and now he's in the home, how do you, how do you make that child from this little thing to eventually a productive member of society and the church around us? Okay? Do you do it the same way that sometimes we get hung up with, with evangelism? How many, time, how many people do you know that command the children with doctrine? You're going to do it my way or the high, you know. And, and we've probably all seen this. And what happens to the child's character? It rebels. It hardens. Yeah. How many of you have seen the parents that just want to raise the children with love? And we've been reading this book, and it says we shouldn't discipline our children because that will hurt his self-esteem. And we just want to love and reason with this little child. And, 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 what, and what happens to them when they grow up? <laughs> they turn into monsters. I mean, you can read about it with Eli's children, Hophni and Phinehas. They were doing bad things in the temple of God. Are the best, most well-rounded, noble young people produced from children who were given everything that they want? No, you guide, you train, you warn, you correct. And in the spirit of Christ, it's the same way with newborn babes, spiritually. That birth process is hard sometimes. Especially the first time, right? But the more you have, the easier it gets, they say. Um, (laughs) Made me lose my point here. Second Peter 1, 5 to 8, there's a, there's a chronology of events there that starts with, add to your diligence. In other words, pay attention. And that list is concluded with love. So in that spiritual relationship, we start by paying attention to who? Our heavenly husbandman. And it concludes in love. Isn't that how the relationship develops? We see somebody that catches our eye and we start paying attention with them. And if we keep on that progression, eventually it ends in a loving relationship. Do we just need a better marketing strategy? No. There are other ways, said earlier, to produce children. Sadly, even a violent abuse, not taking no for an answer, will produce children as well. And I think Jesus addressed this issue when talking to the uh, scribes and Pharisees. He says, you travel the world over to make one proselyte. And what? You make him twofold the child of hell as yourself. That's strong language, isn't it? 
I mean, imagine somebody looking you in the eye and telling you that. How were those people producing children? It was by force. It was by regulation and tradition and rules that were piled one upon another on the pure and simple gospel. The pure and simple principle of just go home and lock the door. The rest is easy. But they just, they added method after method after all this stuff, all this strategy. In Ezekiel 23, we read the, the story of two sisters, Aholabah and Ahola, that couldn't sit still. And they went to the Egyptians. They went to the Assyrians. They went to the Babylonians for love. And they became insatiable. And the reason God told Ezekiel to give us this parable was why? Because that's what the nation of Israel was doing. They were going everywhere but to God for that love, that connection. Do you think the church today is any different? No. think we're any different? No, the tendency is still there. Because you don't have to surrender anywhere else, but to Christ you do. So it takes vulnerability, it takes exposure, it takes opening ourselves up to Him. And that's crossways to our sinful nature, isn't it? I mean, we want to do what we want to do. We want our cake and eat it too. We want to, we want to be blessed. And so submission, like we said the other day, sometimes in the Christian world today, submission looks like, I will submit to let him bless me. And it's like that, no, 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 you've got that all wrong. That's not what submission is. How do we grow our churches? We make up for that lack of, of letting the Spirit come into our hearts and growing the church. Instead, we start looking at other pastures. Oh, it sure is green over there. How are they doing it? And so we send a little handful of our people over to that church to see what are you doing? How are you collecting so many people? How are you growing so fast? Think about this. In the Bible, it addresses the issue of homosexuality. And it's called an abomination and confusion. Ask yourself why, other than it's just a perversion of what God created. But again, there's symbolism here. When the bride of Christ, follow this, a church is represented by a, a woman. If God's church, being his woman, goes to another church for its growth, what do we call that spiritually or uh, physically? Yeah, that's spiritual lesbianism. When a church goes to another church for its methods of procreation, that's sick. And it's an abomination to the Lord. And it's confusion. What are we doing as God's remnant people with the message of the sanctuary in Revelation 14 going to these other churches and buying their program? Does that work? There is something wrong there. We substitute method because we've lost our message, because we've lost that first love. We want to be married, so we work and we work and we work. And the Lord follows us around and says, Do you love me, though? Do you love me? Yes, I love you, no. Go away, don't bother me. Just leave me alone. Lord, you're always asking me that question. Just leave me alone. 
Go to Revelation. Re look at Revelation 12 and Revelation 17. There's two women there. The woman of Revelation 12 and the Revelation of, excuse me, and the woman of Revelation 17. These represent churches, don't they? Let me ask you this. Which one of those women surrendered to her king? One of them's pregnant. Right? And the other one's a whoremonger. Right? Do you think the bride of Revelation 12 went to the bride, if I can, of Revelation 17 to get that child? No. No. The one of them, the picture is a pure woman, crowned with the diadem of glory, who's about ready to give birth to her king. The other woman is, is dressed like a, like a harlot. She's angry. She's warlike. She's drunk. And you go down the list. Follow this. Look at these two women. Now, I don't have the references here because this just kind of hit me, but it's kind of another study that I've done. In Timothy, and I can't remember where the other reference is, I think Peter, th there's a description about godly women not having broidered hair or what? What are, the, what are the references? Plating of hair, broidered hair, gold, pearls, costly array, And in these two references, like I said, I think one's in Timothy, one's in Peter. But it's outlining the character and the appearance of a godly woman. No gold, no pearls, no elaborate uh, fashioning the hair, the hairdo, and not expensive clothes. Okay. Now do this. Find those two references and then go and compare the women of Revelation 12 and 17. How do they compare? The woman of Revelation 17 is the antithesis of these two references of what not to do. In, the, in Revelation 17, it says she's wearing gold and Purple. That was a costly array of those days, right? Go down the list, and she is like checked off almost on every one of those characteristics of what God said, do not do. Gold, pearls, costly array. Now ask yourself, what do you see in our church today? If you were to draw the comparison, how do you see it today? In the churches. Our women today, which one do they match closest to? You know what I'm saying? We've got a work to do in our hearts. The day of atonement is now. And our work now in the day of atonement was to do what? Take all the stuff off and bow before our king. Revelation 12 or 17, which one do you want to be? Do you, be, do you want to be the one that's bearing children for her king? Do you want to be the bride of Christ? The whole point of OIC was to inspire people that, number one, time is short. Start praying. Get on your knees. Go to your closet and lock the door. 
and have a deep, personal, intimate relationship with your maker. And number two, there are a million ways to work for the Lord. Find your way. There are children out there that are lost and waiting to be brought home to Christ. See, our children don't come from within, spiritually. They're out there. They haven't been born yet. They haven't been reborn. You know, and you think about that concept of rebirth. The questions of our young people yesterday were asking about intimacy. And usually always when you get young people together, the question will always come up in a question and answer. What if I've done this and I've done that and where do I go from here? Think about what Jesus told Nicodemus. You must be reborn. Was a child ever born without their virginity? Was a child ever born without innocence? So what is God telling us today? You need to be reborn. You never totally erase the scars physically of life. You've got that, that memory, but God tells us in the spirit of prophecy that it's an honor to forget evil memories that only glorify Satan. It is our privilege to just forget about the past. Amen. Expose it to the sunlight, and eventually what happens? Fades, Fades away. Amen. Okay? You can be reborn. Amen. Isn't that cool? There's hope. Contrary to Satan's opinion that, nope, once you've blown it, might as well get some mileage out of it. You've blown it once, you might as well become a prostitute. I mean, doesn't he tell us that? Yeah, he does. Just give up. And in the face of these accusations, we can say, no, I reclaim what God has given me. It's going to be a hard journey. Being exposed to sunlight doesn't always feel good, if you know what I mean. Time is short. Start praying. There are a million ways to work for the Lord. There are children out there lost and waiting to be brought home to Christ. Reflect on these parables of marriage and find your place. Now, I know in any sort of group, there are couples, there are people, some of you are married, some of you aren't. How do you find your place? How do you process all this information? For those of you who are married, go home sit across from the table and look at each other and say, and ask yourself, have you been portraying this picture in your home? From the very surface level issues down to the deepest intimate level, have you been portraying Christ and his bride? And set about now to start studying it and correcting the picture. Because every single aspect of your relationship together has a parallel spiritually. Those of you who are single, without the distraction of what's, you know, that, that physical relationship, focus on developing this kind of relationship with God. Amen. And as best you can, perfect it so that when the Lord deems you're ready, you will have something to give to another person that is going to blow their mind because you've walked with the king. Amen. And now you're just ready to 
<laughs> Cook their goose. You know what I'm saying? It makes me think of in Egypt, when Joseph was second only to Pharaoh, and his dad came to Egypt. Read about the story. What happened? When, Joseph, when uh, Jacob came before Pharaoh, who was Pharaoh to the world at that time? He was God. And I, you know, I, I don't like saying that word, so both, but, but that's who he was, wasn't he? He was raw. The nation bowed to that man. But when, when Jacob came in, what happened? Do you remember the story? Pharaoh bowed. To this shepherd. This man that was dressed like a, a commoner. And why did that happen? Because Pharaoh recognized here is a man that had a godly bearing. He exuded the spirit of Christ because he had walked with God. And in the, just the aura of who he was, he carried himself such that Pharaoh acknowledged that as superior. We have that privilege today. But it can't be short-circuited. If you've got the gift of singleness and you want to give yourself to God, we see that as, you know, Paul talks about that. As, that's an option. Some people can do that. But by and large, God said it is not good for mankind to be alone. Because in being together, you can start grasping concepts that you wouldn't be able to grasp otherwise. When the screen was down yesterday, what's our theme for this year? Ready always. Always ready. Do you want to be the bride of Christ? Okay, so ask yourself, do you want to be always busy or always ready? Let me ask you a question, you men. Do you want your woman to be always busy? are always ready. We're told men and women are different because men turn on like light bulbs, women turn on like ovens. Well, then just leave the oven on. You know what I'm saying? Spiritual parallel. We say always ready, but do we mean that? Should we mean it? Turn it on, take the knob off, throw it away. I'm just telling you, it's a parallel. It works both ways, in the home and in the heart. Let's bow our heads for prayer. O Lord, most holy Father, we talk about these things in your word and it's fascinating. It's, it's appealing. But it's going to take time, Lord, for these pebbles to reach the depths of our understanding that you intend them to mean. Lord, don't let them out of our hearts and let them just rattle around in there. Keep bringing them back to our minds so that we get it. And we surrender this selfish heart to your indwelling that we may produce children for your kingdom. Like I said in Daniel, those who, who turn many to righteousness will shine as the stars forever. May we do this for you. Give us children ere we die. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.